Speaking of things that we pray about and the way that God answers our prayers, can you take the next 20 seconds and turn to a neighbor? If God has ever done anything in your life that you would consider a miracle, tell a neighbor. Go. There's just as much giggling as talking happening in this room. What an interesting response. All right, this has already been more than 20 seconds. Did you hear a miracle story just now? Here's the question. These moments get kind of awkward, right? You want me to talk about miracles? Somebody in the room, I guarantee at least one person in the room just now was like, I don't have a miracle story. Bro, not true. You woke up today. <laughs> Miracle number two, you survived 2020. <laughs> you made it this far. So God is in the business of doing miracles, right? In fact, we've been in a series where we've been talking about spiritual gifts. And just last week, we talked about the spiritual gifts of healings and the spiritual gift of miracles. And these are moments where God gives by his Holy Spirit to sons and daughters of, in his kingdom. So these are Christians that are filled with his Holy Spirit and filled with the gifts of the Spirit. These are, these are gifts that he gives for people specifically to lay hands on the sick and see them recover or be healed and to ask God for miraculous things and to see God respond with miraculous results. And by the way, a miracle is something that you can't do in your own strength or power, a healing. Uh, when we talk about miraculous healing, that's like you're sick and then boom, you're not sick anymore. And we always pray, and, and by the way, you can go back and listen to this on our podcast or on YouTube from last week, but we always pray for healings and miracles just like we pray for everything else in the name of Jesus because it's not us that does healing or miracles. It is always God who does the work. Amen? Okay, now, this sermon today that I'm about to preach is for every single person who, when I said, turn to your neighbor for 20 seconds and tell a story about a miracle, if you felt awkward or uncomfortable in that moment, this sermon is for you. I'm so glad that you came here today, because today we are going to talk about what happens when miracles don't. And it's going to feel for a second like I just took all of the breath out of the sails of our Pentecostal church where we're talking about how miracles happen and rah, rah, yay, miracles and healings. And look, I, I want to tell you, I'm really nervous about preaching this message, but I know it's important. Let me tell you why I'm nervous. Can I just be a human being in front of you for a second? Uh, I'm a little nervous about preaching a message at a Pentecostal church called What Happens When Miracles Don't. Because the last thing that I want as your pastor is to have you walk out of this church and think that what I'm about to tell you or to think that what I told you today was we should just stop praying for miracles because, you know, it's really a crapshoot. And if God does a miracle, then yeah, yay. But just, you know, let's just let it be up to God's will. I want to preface that at Life Church, we read the Bible. And in the Bible... It says that when you lay hands on the sick, they will be healed. Jesus told his disciples one time, greater works than these you would do. And then he gave us his Holy Spirit, and in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says, you will have power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and be my witnesses, and he says, all around the world, right? And that power actually is directly associated to miracles, things we call signs and wonders, miraculous healings, things that you can't explain in any other way than the Holy Spirit intervened. That was miraculous, right? Okay, so that's the, that's the preface. So if you're a visitor here at Life Church today, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. My name is Tim. We're about to get into it. Um, but but I, I want to just tell you the baseline that we're building this sermon on is that we absolutely believe in and pray for miracles, But sometimes you have prayed for miracles and you didn't get the answer you asked for. 
and we need to talk about it. So can I tell you a story so that you don't feel like I'm just calling out your questions? Let me tell you about one of mine. There was a guy uh, when I was the young adults pastor at the Highlands, which is a great church in Palmdale, and I got to serve there for a couple of years before we planted Life Church. Learned a ton, phenomenal ministry over there. I was serving under Ken Hart, uh, just such a gifted ministry. And one of the things that was happening in that church in that season was there was a kind of like a swell of this gift of faith and the gift of miracles and and the gifts of healings. And so we were leading this young adults ministry. And uh, we were real creative. We called it Sunday Night Live. And there was, a, there was a group of people who, this is how committed these people were. It was on Sunday nights. There were four services on Sunday mornings. And then the last service would end. The last adult regular service would end on Sunday. And then these kids would stick around and clean up after all of the adult services and then stay. And we'd set tables in the sanctuary and we'd just get into the word. We'd worship Jesus and get into the word. And, and by the time that thing was at the point that it was at during the story that I'm about to tell you, there was on any given night somewhere between 70 to 100 people, young adults coming to just get into the presence of God with each other and into the word. Right? So just as a side note, if anyone tells you that God's not doing anything in this younger generation, they're so lying. Um, God is doing miracles in and through that generation. And so we're excited about that. I was very excited to be in the room getting to lead that movement of young people at the church when somebody came to me and told me about this guy. His name was Jesus. Jesus was a friend of this person who came and told me. He's a member of our, of our young adults ministry. And uh, he said... Jesus has been in an accident. He's now in a coma. And the problem is that I'm not sure that he knows Jesus. And so we were concerned. The doctor said it doesn't look very good. He's probably not going to make it. And so we were obviously concerned not just for his physical health, but for his eternal relationship with Jesus for his eternal life. And so we got up on a Sunday night. My friend tells me this on Sunday right before service starts. Uh, and, and he goes, Tim, we, we got to pray for Jesus. And so we talked to Jesus about Jesus and Jesus responded. And the next day, Jesus woke up. Miraculous, right? I mean, just absolutely incredible. Somebody was able to be in the room when he woke up and led him to Jesus. That's pretty awesome. And 24 hours later, he died. And six days later, I had to preach another sermon to that same young adults group, and I had two stories to tell them. Hey, guys, this really cool thing happened. You prayed, and... 24 hours later, he woke up, and then 48 hours later after we prayed, he was not alive anymore. And we had to figure out a way, how do you talk about the thing that you were asking for wasn't the thing that you got? Now, some of you are already going to be way ahead of me because you're going to go, but we did get the most important thing, didn't we? Right? Okay, so hold that in your mind the next time you don't get what you want. And the fact that you're laughing tells me I really need to preach this sermon. <laughs> Turn in your Bible to Mark chapter 4 because I'm going to share with you three lessons that Jesus taught me when I was trying to figure out what in the world am I going to tell my friends on this coming Sunday night when we have to wrestle with the fact that we can thank Jesus but we're also kind of grieving and, and more than grieving, we're confused. There were a lot of young people who were sending me text messages that week when they found out that Jesus had died and they went, what happened? Lots of questions. And I had a lot of questions too. And I, I was confused and I was wrestling and I, I was reminded about this story in Mark chapter 4 that I want to share with you today. Um, in Mark chapter 4, Jesus is hanging out with his disciples. And he says this really specific thing. We'll pick up the story in verse 35. This is the place where I felt like the Holy Spirit was reminding me of this story. And I just want to share it with you. And then I'll share three lessons with you from this story. It says, when evening had come, he, that's Jesus in this context, he, saw, he told them, let's cross over to the other side of the sea. So they left the crowd and took him along since he was in the boat. 
which is an important distinction for the disciples to make there because sometimes Jesus goes along without having to be in the boat, right? But in this case, he actually was in the boat. Uh, so this isn't a walk on water story. This is a different story. Um, it says they left the crowd. They took him. He was in the boat and, an, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking over the boat so that the boat was already being swamped. And since all of these disciples were such excellent, experienced fishermen, they were totally calm and cool and not worried at all. And everybody kept their chill and they praised Jesus for being awesome. And they sailed off into the sunset. And this story doesn't teach us anything at all. Oh, it doesn't say that. It says, Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on the cushion. I love that in my translation it says, on the cushion. Jesus was like, dibs, one cushion, it's mine. (laughs) So they woke him up and they said to him, this is what it would have sounded like, teacher, don't you care that we're going to die? Everybody reverts to a junior high schooler when they're about to die. Verse 39 says, he got up, rebuked the wind, and he said to the sea, silence, be still. The wind ceased, and there was great calm. And then he said to them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? Today, I just want to share with you three lessons that Jesus taught me when I was asking the question, why was it that we didn't get what we specifically asked you for? What was it that happened when the miracle we asked for didn't happen. Lesson number one, this is what I felt like the Holy Spirit said to me in this moment. You have to remember, Jesus is a man of his word. Jesus is a man of his word. How do we know that? Uh, If you've ever heard anybody preach from this passage, that you will have heard this. When Jesus says, let's cross to the other side, he will always mean we're going to get to the other side. Jesus has never said, let's do a thing, and then halfway through go, you know what, guys, this one's tough. We're not going to be able to do the thing I said. Everybody turn around for a second and look at the words above the back doors. If you're watching online, it's Hebrews 13.8, and it says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You know, if you study scripture, if you do theology, if you try to figure out God and his character and who he is and what he's like, you begin to find out that God does not change his mind, that God doesn't lie, that God doesn't make mistakes. And so when Jesus said, let's cross to the other side, you might think, oh, that's just like, hey, let's get in the car and go for a cruise or let's get on the boat and go sailing. Jesus picks his words very intentionally. He says, let's go to the other side. So what do we understand? He intends to get to the other side. So the question isn't, did Jesus mean what he said? The question is, do you believe Jesus is a man of his word? Do you believe that when he said, pray for miracles and you'll see miracles, do you believe that he meant it? A storm comes up and Jesus doesn't change his mind. He doesn't change his plans. The lesson for us, the storms of our life do not change the words of God. What is the storm in your life? What storm have you faced? If this is a metaphor for the place where you ask God to do something that he didn't do the way you asked him for, or you started asking for him, asking him to do something and he hasn't done it yet. Like, In my life currently, I still regularly, very often pray, Jesus, I believe that you are a healer. You have promised healing. Heal my mother of Parkinson's. And I haven't seen that happen yet. And I, so I have to come back to this very often. But Jesus, you are a man of your word. And the storm that we call Parkinson's in my mother's life and the way that affects our family, that does not change your word. Amen? Now think about the weight of the promise that Jesus makes about healing for us in Scripture. In fact, hundreds of years before Jesus was even born, there was a prophecy about the Messiah. We know Jesus was the Messiah and is the Messiah. And in Isaiah 53, 5, it was prophesied about the Messiah. He was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed for our iniquities, punishment for our peace was on him, and we are 
healed by his wounds. By the way, just in context there, if you really do a word study on what that means, it's a holistic kind of healing. We've talked about that here. That when we talk about healings, that we're talking about all of us gets to be healed because of the wounds of Jesus. Amen? And just so you don't do that thing that sometimes we're tempted to do and go, that's a cute Old Testament passage. Well, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 brings that into the New Testament, brings it into the New Covenant when quoting, by his wounds you have been healed. That's past tense, just so you know. Meaning that Jesus has already paid the price for our healing a long time ago, and he isn't going to take it back. If you bought a shirt at the store and decided you didn't want it anymore, you've already paid the price for the shirt. And to not own the shirt anymore, you have to unpay the price. So what was the price that Jesus paid for you to have healing and for us to have access to his miraculous power? It was the same price he paid for you to have access to eternal life. It was by his wounds that you were healed. And so if you're prepared for salvation to be flimsy, then you can be prepared for miracles and healing promises to be flimsy. But if you believe that your salvation is secure, then you must also believe that Jesus is not about to unpay the price for your healing. Because Jesus is a man of his word. And when he was on the cross and he said, it is finished, then what we know is he's already done all the work that needs to be done. And he can't unpay that price. Because if he did, well, it would just completely unravel all of our theology. And that's probably a different sermon. So let's move on. Ultimately, I think this is a lesson about trust. We're in Mark chapter 4. If you were to turn to John chapter 4, you'd find another story about a great example of what trust actually looks like. If you're sitting here going, well, how do I actually engage that kind of trust? Then this story might actually be helpful. In John chapter 4, verse 46, there's a story about this man who comes to Jesus and he says, uh, we'll pick it up in verse, actually verse 47. When the man heard that Jesus had come to, from Judea into Galilee, he went to him and pleaded with him to come down and heal his son since he was about to die. So this is serious business. He goes to Jesus. Uh, there's some level of hope that he's putting in Jesus. Verse 48, Jesus told him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will not believe, which is a phenomenal statement for you to wrestle with. Do you believe in Jesus's word because you saw it? or because he said it. Okay, verse 49, sir, the official said to him, come down before my boy dies. I love how the dad is just like, this is a good example of a dad who's in crisis mode. I don't care what you just said, Jesus about signs and wonders, that was nice. My kid's about to die, will you come to my house please? I love that Jesus then doesn't rebuke him, like how dare you not listen to the thing I said? He says, go, Jesus told him, your son will live. What did the man ask for? Come to my house. What did Jesus do? He didn't do what he asked for. Come to my house so my boy won't die. And Jesus says, you go home. He'll live. He didn't do what he asked for. He gave him a promise, though. He gave him his word, didn't he? The man believed what Jesus said to him and departed. If you are the kind of person who underlines in your Bible, just underline that whole sentence. The man believed and departed. That's the key right here. We'll come back to that in just a second. The man believed and departed. While he was still going, his servants met him saying his boy was alive. He asked them at what time that he got better. Yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him, they answered. The father realized this was the very hour at which Jesus had told him, your son will live. So he himself believed along with his whole household. What did the father ask for? Come to my house so that my boy will live. What did Jesus do in response? Something similar, but it required faith. It required taking Jesus at his word. And how do we know that Jesus is a man of his word? Because the very hour that Jesus said your boy will live is the same hour that the servants began to realize that the boy got better. Jesus is a man of his word, and his word is good. His word is powerful. 
In fact, his word is so powerful that it could instantly, and I don't know if it was like a black hole that it just like instantly traveled from one place to another, or maybe Jesus just, you know, is like the king of the universe, and so when he says something, he doesn't have to be in the same room as the thing that he's speaking about. It just happens because his word is all-powerful. What I'm trying to say is don't rack your brain trying to figure out how this works. Just trust that it works, and when Jesus says your son is healed at that hour, healing came even though it wasn't the way that he wanted. And notice how this story ends. Let me, let me read to you the end of this story again. So he himself believed along with his whole household. Remember the story I told you about Jesus? And, you, and your brain already jumped to, but you got the most important thing, right? He, I recognize that he died, but he got saved. That's actually the point of this story. The power of this story is really two things. And interestingly, Jesus plays a third party in this story. Jesus' word is sure and secure. You know who the hero of this story is? It's the dad who believed Jesus, took him at his word, and didn't go, but Jesus, I asked you to come to my house. He didn't debate with Jesus. He didn't go, well, Thanks for saying nice things about my son, but I'm really, I need you to come to my house. He just said, okay, if you're telling me to go and he's going to be okay, then I'm going to get out of here. Because you sent me on a mission now. He took Jesus at his word. The father becomes the hero. And the exclamation mark on the story, which really tells us the point of the entire thing, is not that a boy lived, but a household was saved. But don't miss it. Jesus is a man of his word. It's interesting when you really study scripture, you find out the stories about healing aren't actually about the healing at all. Healing is almost like a byproduct to the power of God's word and whether or not we will trust God's word. So the disciples are in a boat with Jesus, and they don't act the same way that the dad acts, right? The storm comes up, and what do they do? They cry, they turn into junior hires, and they freak out, and they run to Jesus, and they make accusations against him. Don't you even care? Don't you even care? And not one of these cats was like, hey, fellas, didn't Jesus say that we would go to the other side? Isn't Jesus, hasn't he always been a man of his word? Haven't we been with Jesus long enough to know that when he says, let's go over here, that we would actually get to where we're going? Not a single one of them said that. They all just completely jump ship on their faith and run to Jesus and say, how dare you steal the only cushion on the boat for a nap while we're all dying? And I wonder how many times we don't get the comfort and the response, and the kind of answer that we're really fishing for with Jesus, and we just jump ship on our faith. I wonder how many times in my life, and I really hope that God doesn't answer this question for me, because I have a feeling it would be a lot of times, but I wonder how many times in my life I have not seen a thing go exactly the way I wanted, and I go, no, Jesus, I guess you changed your mind. I guess you didn't really mean it for me. I guess I'm just that one person whose sin outweighs the power of your word to do miracles or healing. Or I guess I'm that one person who has figured out how to pray such lame prayers that you just won't even listen to me. Or I guess I'm just that one person who has finally figured out that this all is just a joke and you're not really a man of your word. And those are all thoughts that have run through my mind. I don't even want to know what goes through your mind. (laughs) So, when it looks like Jesus is sleeping on your miracle, remember, he is a man of his word. Just remember that. So the question isn't, has God changed his mind about healing? Instead, we have to ask, can I still have faith in Jesus no matter how he answers my prayers? That's the question. Can I still have faith in Jesus no matter how he answers this prayer? Or is my entire relationship with Jesus built on the fickle foundation of if you give me what I ask for, then I will continue to believe that you're a man of your word? And if any of this stings for you, 
Imagine how it felt when he was telling me this, and then I had to preach a sermon about it within six days. So lesson number two, as we keep going, is Jesus stopped the storm by releasing his peace. This was something the Holy Spirit reminded me. It was one of those things that I, like I knew this, but in that moment as I was wrestling, God, what was it that actually happened? He said, I stopped that storm by releasing peace. In the CSB translation that I read to you earlier, Jesus looks at the storm and he says, silence, be still. See, Jesus brings peace because he has authority. You might remember if you've studied scripture that Jesus has actually got one, he's got a title, he's got a name. One of his titles or names is that he is the Prince of Peace. If you call someone a prince over like an earthly territory or region, what you're saying is this person has authority and a reign over a particular territory. And Jesus is so powerful that his reign is not over just geography, it's over concepts like peace itself. He is the prince of peace. And so that means that when Jesus speaks about peace or he commands something to be at peace, silence be still, that because he is the prince of peace, meaning he has the authority, that what he commands to be still must be still. I would just say, with the singular exception of mankind whom he, to whom he has given free will, you get to choose whether or not you will obey. And, and I use that word obey specifically because that means if Jesus says to you, be still, and you're like, nah, I'm good, Jesus would actually call that rebellion. That's sin. It's another sermon. Okay. When Jesus speaks to the storms in our lives, ultimately his objective is to empower us to be at peace like he is at peace. He was able to command the storm or we might say to release peace over the storm because he was the prince of peace. And ultimately what he wants for us is to be people of peace. I think this is actually why when Jesus does the peace be still thing, he turns around to the disciples and goes, do you still not have any faith? I mean, not only did you hear me say, let's go to the other side, and you didn't believe that I'm a man of my word, but you don't have faith that I'm more powerful than some rain? Which I created the system that does the rain thing, by the way. Like, I totally have power over all of this. At this point, you would have thought that they would have confidence in knowing this man is always chill. And so I'm just going to follow his lead. I'm just going to behave the way Jesus behaved. How different would this story have gone if Peter would have said, guys, I know Jesus jacked the only cushion on the boat, but I'm taking my shirt off and going to take a nap too. Because if that's what Jesus is doing, I'm going to follow his lead. And I wonder how many storms in my life I have panicked when Jesus was taking a nap. And then I look at Jesus and I go, why are you sleeping on my miracle? And Jesus just goes, be still. Be still. By the way, if you say that while quoting scripture, how does that follow? Be still and know that I am God. Do you? Do you? Again, this story isn't ultimately about the storm, it's about peace. It's about peace about Jesus wanting his disciples to be people of peace. And in the same way, when we pray for miracles, Jesus invites us to be people of peace, regardless of the appearance of a storm. Are you a person of peace? Maybe another way to ask this question is, if you believe that Jesus is the Prince of Peace, to, whom, to whose authority are you actually submitting your life? Do you submit your authority to the Prince of Peace, who can give you peace and speak peace over your life, or do you panic? And in panicking, you show what you are really, really actually believing in. God, what I need is activity. I don't need peace. I need action. I don't need rest. I need you to do something. And when we say that to Jesus, we say, I don't actually receive your peace. I don't actually want you to be the Prince of Peace. I want you to be the, peace, the, the Prince of Miracles. 
And Jesus would say, you know what I actually came for? You know what I actually did all of these miracles for? Is so that you and I could be at peace. First with each other. And then your storms can be at peace as well. The peace of God is, is actually more important than any other healing or any other miracle. I mean, think about this. Doesn't, doesn't Jesus actually teach us this throughout his entire earthly ministry? Doesn't Scripture tell us, hey, guys, it would be phenomenal if you could gain all of the wealth and riches of the world. If you don't have love, if you don't have peace with God, none of that will matter. You could have every single thing in your entire life work out perfectly and not have a relationship with Jesus. And nothing that works out perfectly in your life matters. And as much as we want the miracle, which, by the way, you're allowed to want, but as much as we want it, what do we want most? Because what Jesus wants most is you to be at peace. For you to be at peace. Again, when Jesus said, it is finished, you know what he was saying peace to? Peace to all of the work you have to be doing to be in relationship with him. Peace to all of the work you had to do to earn righteousness. Just be at peace. When we don't see a miracle happen, what we're being actually invited into is to receive the peace of Jesus. Now, what I am actually telling you is that sometimes God is like a good parent. Think about your kids. Do you give them everything they always ask you for? Every single time? Have you ever taken a child to the store? <laughs> you, then you know. You know, right? If you give your kid everything they tell you they want, this will not go well for you. You want to know how to spoil a kid? Just never say no. But why do you say no? Why can't we have ice cream before pizza? Why can't we just have ice cream for dinner? Why can't I get every single toy on the toy aisle? Why not? Because you know what is best for your kids. And when you say no, it's actually an expression of love. Because you see something greater. You see the more important story. We say no to our kids to teach them patience. God says no to his kids to teach us patience. We say no to our kids to prepare them for something more important, like know how to provide for yourself good meals. So I'm going to teach you ice cream's not dinner, it's dessert. So that later on, when you're a mature person, you'll choose healthy food over ice cream for dinner. And you'll know ice cream has its place. Hey, eat some ice cream. Cool. Good. Right. But it's not dinner. So you say no. I got an amen on that. That's awesome. I love Life Church. <laughs> this is, so we teach our kids to teach them patience, to teach them about things that are more important. Sometimes we say no just to teach them who's in charge and that it's not them. Right? Parents, sometimes you look at your kid and say, you're not me. I used to hate this when I was a kid. But now, I do it. <laughs> Why can't we do such and such? Because I said so. <laughs> because I said so. Now, watch. When I say because I said so to my children in love, I'm building something. There is a way to say because I said so and that's actually destructive. So we have to trust that when God says, because I said so, what do we know? He actually loves me. He's actually saying, because I said so, in the context of being a man of his word who said, let's get to the other side. In the context of the God who says, when you lay hands on the sick, there will be healing. 
In the, in the context of Jesus who said, by the power of the Holy Spirit, miracles will happen in and through your life. And so when God says no, that doesn't mean he changed his mind or that he's being abusive. It means he knows something else is going on in this story, and he's trying to help us grow up. A couple of weeks ago when we were talking about faith, we said, if you have very little faith, and Jesus told the disciples, you guys don't even have any faith right now. And we said, that doesn't make you a bad person or a bad Christian. It just means you need to grow up. And there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus wasn't condemning the disciples, but he was correcting them. He was telling them to grow up. And so when we look at Jesus and say, don't you care about the storm in my life? What we're actually saying is, I don't believe that you're saying no in this moment actually is still wrapped in love. It's funny the number of times, maybe scary, the number of times I've actually gone to Jesus and subtly accused him of abusing me by saying no to the thing that I said that I wanted. I become like the kid in the toy aisle who throws a fit when I don't get the toy. And Jesus goes, kid, get up off the floor. We're going to go home and we're going to eat some broccoli. That one felt like it hit deep for some of you, like <laughs> you might need to see a therapist. <laughs> okay, let's read a couple scriptures so that this point is a legal sermon point. Uh, because Jesus actually makes it pretty clear, this is actually, we're talking about priorities here. All of that is to say, we're, when we're raising children and God is raising disciples, we're talking about learning how to put our priorities right. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus teaches us something about priorities when he says, don't worry, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek such things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Can I just say, seek first is about priorities priorities. And notice the list of things that Jesus says here. You're worried about what will we eat, what will we drink, and where. Do you think that Jesus wasn't intentional when he said things that are like food and clothing and water? And you think he wasn't aware that you have lists of like, well, what about Parkinson's? You think Jesus would hear that and go, well, that's not as important as what you drink. Jesus knows. Jesus knows the thing you thought of when you said, well, I would add this to the list. And Jesus goes, fine, put it on the list, but put it in the right order in the list. Because this is about priorities. Do you seek the kingdom first, or are you just looking for God to provide for you? Ultimately, as Christians, we believe in a God who does miracles, but we believe in a God who does miracles for people who seek him first, above everything else. Amen? People who have received the peace of Jesus, you could say, would be at peace, even if they're not in peace. Paul wrote about this in Philippians chapter 4. He says, don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. So this isn't saying, don't pray for miracles. Present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This is, this is like a hype verse. Yes, pray for everything. Pray about everything. And God will give you his peace. And his peace passes understanding, which means no matter what it looks like, you can have peace. Have you ever seen someone that it feels a little bit like that meme with the dog sitting in the house that's totally on fire and just go and it just says, this is fine. Like that actually is used to like totally mock a lot of things and it's kind of a hilarious meme and yet it's also a really good spiritual picture of what it looks like to be at peace that passes understanding. And in the same chapter, Paul, later on, down in verse 11, says, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. I know how to make do with little, and I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstance, I have learned the secret of being content. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need, I am able to do all things 
through him who strengthens me. Which, by the way, is the one part that we love to just pull that. Verse 13. Let's just pull that out. Let's quote it. I'm able to do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. And we forget that Paul said, sometimes I'm rich and sometimes I'm poor. I'm able to do all things. I'm able to do all things. So certainly pray for healing. Pray for miracles. But strive to dwell in God's peace. Because then your faith won't be shaken and blown around based on seeing or not seeing. Because this isn't about let me be a Christian so I can get what I want. This is about let me follow Jesus so I can have what I need the most, which is the peace of God. Amen? Okay, if you felt uncomfortable with those two, lesson number three. Lesson number three was this. Jesus, I felt like as I was reading this passage, said to me, I calmed the storm. I didn't drain the lake. It's a simple point, but it's the one I find the most challenging. It's, it's, to be quite honest, it's the one that I like to go to God the most with and say, I don't like this one. I'm not happy with this. I'm not satisfied with this, but it is the truth, and I have to come to terms with the reality. We live in a world where storms happen. Those storms look like sickness, and sick people recover, and some sick people die, and death has a 100% success rate with like a couple of exceptions historically. Storms look like people hating each other and choosing to break relationships over who you voted for or whether or not you wear a mask or going to war because we really want that land you're living on. Or we're going to kill you because you don't worship the God that we worship. These are storms. Storms look like Parkinson's. Storms look like fill in the blank. And Jesus said, peace be still. He didn't say, water, stop existing. And that is hard to deal with. And this actually results in many people who come and they blame God for stormy weather. And if we're wise, we would remember stormy weather happened because of us in the first place. Jesus says, peace be still. And one day, he will drain the lake. One day, no more sickness. One day, no more pain. One day, no more death. One day, no more war. One day, no more hatred. One day, no more disagreements. One day, praise God, no more politics. One day, but not today. I mean not yet today. It could be right now, but not yet today. <laughs> not yet. Asking God to remove sickness is like asking him to drain the lake instead of just calming the storm. One day it will all come to an end. But Jesus taught us, keep this in mind, John 16, verse 33, you will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. I have conquered the world. You realize those are words he said before he died on the cross? I have overcome. I have conquered. Be courageous. Don't be afraid. But you will have suffering in this world. Jesus has overcome the world. And while we are in a world where Jesus is our king, while all of that is true, and that king invites us to pray for miracles, and we see miracles, he invites us to pray for people to be healed, and we see people get healed. You, many of you, shared a story in that 20 seconds at the beginning of this sermon, I actually have a miracle story. And people will keep dying, people will keep getting sick, wars will keep on happening, and one day Jesus will return and put a period on the end of every one of those sentences. So when we pray, but we don't get the results that we hope for, what we're actually receiving is an invitation into patience. We're receiving an invitation to believe that God might see the bigger picture. The big story. I'm asking God, would you remove all of the sickness? And Jesus would say, yeah, I will, but not today. God, will you heal this? And he would say, you're healed by the wounds and the stripes of Jesus. And in the meantime, be patient until that truth becomes your present reality. 
Let me say that to you again because I think I just spoke more to your soul than to your mind. Jesus is saying that one day your physical body, which is trapped inside of time, you're moving one second at a time through human history towards an eternity where we, where we will meet Jesus face to face who exists outside of time. And this is the Jesus who died on the cross for us as far as we understand 2,000 years ago. As far as Jesus understands, he's there just like he's here, just like he's then. You are, you were healed by the stripes of Jesus. And I'm stuck in this timeline. My mom wakes up every morning for the last too many years with Parkinson's. And today she woke up again with Parkinson's, but she is healed by the stripes of Jesus. Jesus is a man of his word. He didn't change his mind. He understands something bigger going on here. And we're moving towards the end of the story where I know my mom, her physical present reality will one day catch up to her eternal promise, which she is healed by the stripes of Jesus. And the question for my mom, the one that she has to answer every single day is, can I be at peace and have patience while I'm waiting? And then she has to say, and will I still pray every single morning for healing because I believe Jesus is still a man of his word, even if I woke up today and haven't received the calm to the storm yet. So will you? We might not discover the reason that God doesn't give us what we ask for, but we can be people of peace and patience, trusting that Jesus is always a man of his word. And as we move towards wrapping this message up, this has actually all been three lessons to make one point. All of this is a message about faith. It's all about faith. If you're not comfortable with that word yet, it's a message about trust. Do you trust Jesus? We are invited to trust or have faith in God's power and his authority regardless of what we see, while also being mature enough to hold intention, I trust you regardless of what I see, but I pray believing for miracles. Mature people can do that. Mature disciples won't run to Jesus and be mad that he fell asleep on a miracle. We will say, if Jesus is at peace, I will too. Amen? So what happens when miracles don't? God invites us to rest like he rests in his authority. Would you bow your heads with me for a moment? We're going to do a couple of things as we wrap up this gathering. The first thing that we would say is that ultimately God is not interested in my ability to prove that he does miracles. He's interested in whether or not I believe that he loves me regardless of what my life looks and feels like today. And so with your eyes closed and with your head bowed, the question for you is, do you believe that God loves you today? Do you believe that he is for you today? God, we say to you first and foremost, we release you and even repent of saying that we, we think that you owe us any proof that you heal or do miracles. We recognize that in reality, we are the ones who owe you. We owe you our trust, that you are good, and that you are doing good work in and through our lives regardless of what it looks and feels like. And we owe you our faith that when you said miracles and healings will happen, We take you at your word. God is interested in my decision to believe. So I just want to give you a moment in the silence of this space. Do you believe? Do you believe in Jesus and his word? Do you believe in the authority of the Prince of Peace who can speak peace over every circumstance? He's also the King of Kings the beginning and the end, who knows the end from the beginning, and when he chooses to say wait, he knows exactly why, and it is always loving. Do you trust? If there's a place in your heart, I would just like to remind you of one last story in the Bible today. There was a father who came to Jesus and asked for his son to be healed. Jesus said he's healed, and the father's response was, I believe, help my unbelief. Can you make that your prayer in this moment? 
God, I believe that you are a God of miracles, a God of healing, a God of peace. Would you help my unbelief? And now I want to invite you to take a step. There may be a miracle that you would be praying for today, and I want to invite you right where you're sitting to just ask Jesus, ask God to do a work in your life. Now, it might be that the miracle that you would ask Jesus to do in your life right now is the miracle of salvation. You might be sitting in this place having no personal relationship with Jesus or having lived outside of relationship with him for a time, and you would say, Jesus, today do the miracle of setting me at peace with you. Restore our relationship. I put my faith in you, and I I believe, and I will live for you, and in relationship with you, make me a disciple. Save my life. That might be the miracle that you're asking for. If there's another miracle, take a moment. Ask. Ask the God of miracles. Jesus, as we lay these petitions down, these requests. We have needs. You are aware of our needs. You're aware of the needs that we're not even aware of. And so, God, would you do a work in our lives? God of miracles, Prince of peace, would you do miracles, call peace to the storms in our lives, and give us patience and peace in the waiting? In just a moment, we're going to pray together. Uh, there'll be a prayer on the screen. We're going we're gonna to pray this prayer together. This has been our practice for the last couple of months to pray a prayer together. There's a unique prayer that we'll pray at the end of this gathering. And then we'll be dismissed to spend some time getting ready to celebrate some water baptisms in just a little bit. That's going to be good. We invite you to stick around for those water baptisms. We know that there's at least two people, two young people who are currently on campus. Our youth are coming home. We're excited about that. As we get ready to pray this prayer together to wrap up this gathering, I want to pray a blessing to you. And this blessing comes straight out of Scripture. It's written by Paul, the apostle, in Romans chapter 15, verse 13. This would be the blessing that I would pray over you. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. If you're physically able, would you stand with me? And we're going to pray this prayer together today. When I say amen, you'll be dismissed. Please hang around for our water baptisms. But let's pray this prayer on the screen together. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we are thankful for your love that heals us and for your love that holds us when we are not yet healed. We receive the invitation to place and keep our faith in you. Grow our faith so we will be expectant for miraculous results. And help us to keep our faith in you regardless of the results. As you work healing for every area of our lives, use us to be a blessing to others, inviting them to experience the healing power of your love. We pray this In the matchless name of Jesus, amen.